This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Um, hello, my name is Christine A. Miller, and I operate the blog uh, Escape and Suspense, which you can find at www.escape-suspense.com. And today we are going to be talking about two of my favorite episodes, which I have paired together. Uh, the first is Treasure Incorporated from Escape, which was first broadcast on January 24th, 1950. And following that will be Always Room at the Top, which aired on February 20th, 1947. And these are two of my favorite episodes. There's a lot of double-crossing going on in both of these. And after we listen to them, we will be discussing them. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight, we escape to a lush tropical island in the Caribbean, a paradise lost through the overpowering greed of a lovely woman and a dangerous man as John and Gwen Bagney tell it in their exciting tale, Treasure Incorporated. Well, are you coming? Huh? You're coming with me, aren't you? What for? I feel lucky. Got a feeling today is going to be the day. You said that for months. Why don't you leave me alone? She turned away and stared out the window at the jungle. Her face was a dissatisfied mask. She had on that old faded red beach dress. She wore it all the time now. And a sloppy pair of slippers. Her hair was pulled back off her neck with a piece of string. Matted. And that wry, crisp figure she'd once had was going fast. He's up there. Sure, he's up there. He's always up there. I'm not going with you. All right, all right. Stay. Stay, I don't care. You're no help to me anymore. And it won't do you any good to go either. Burn yourself up in this tropic sun and for what? Not while he's up there watching. Always watching. Who are you trying to kid? You know, you'll sneak up there to see him the minute I'm gone. And he'll just kick you out again. Shut up. Look at yourself. Not even good enough for that beachcomber. Shut up. Shut up! That was Amanda. And I'd once thought her beautiful. And I'd thought this island was beautiful. A paradise. It seemed a million years ago when I first told Brewer about it. All right, Eddie. So you found a pretty island in the West Indies. Now what? Oh, you should see the island, Brewer. More than a square mile of tropical paradise, just as nature made it. Complete with native village and volcano. 
With enough money, I can get a 25-year lease. I've got it all figured out, Brewer. I can make it the best-paying resort in the Caribbean. Oh, I don't know, Eddie. There's so many resorts. What do you think, Amanda? Sounds intriguing. Why not, Paul? Believe me, it's sure fire with a gimmick like mine. Gimmick? Buried pirate treasure. How do you like that for tourist bait? <laughs> Eddie, I'm afraid you're dreaming. There's never any treasure in those places. Oh, I know that. That's what makes my gimmick so good. I'm going to bury the treasure myself. You are? Oh, sure, nothing too valuable. Just bait, you understand? You know, old Spanish coins, pieces of eight, daggers, bits of old sea chests. Can you get that sort of thing? Oh, I can get it. I know a guy who handles antiques. He can get it for me. Well, what do you think of it? Is that a gimmick or is that a gimmick? Eddie, you're a genius. <laughs> you like it, Brewer? Well, it sounds good, but I'd have to think about it. How about a drink? Okay. I'll fix this one. Uh, scotch all right? Oh, yeah, it's fine. Think you'll go for it, Amanda? You'll go for it. You sure? He didn't sound so positive. Relax, Eddie. Don't worry so much. I'll get your island for you. Not for me, baby. For us. Eddie, take it easy. Remember, I still belong to Brewer. That's Amanda, the kind of a woman that always gets what she wants. She got me my island. I started planning the resort. Brewer was to supply the money, and I was to be the front man. It was a great plan. It couldn't miss. But I'd figured without Clive. I'll never forget the first time I saw Clive, the only white man on the island. He was bald, but he was young. He had a blonde beard. He was sitting in a tangle of jungle wearing nothing but a pair of white ducks ripped off at the knee and some binoculars slung about his neck with a length of vine. He was painting a seascape. Hiya, Gillespie's the name, Eddie Gillespie. I've been looking over the island. I know. I've been watching you. Terrific place. Say, uh, that volcano, any chance of it erupting? No, it's dead. Dead many years. Well, well, that's a relief. Say, I'm sure surprised to find a white man here. You are? Why? Well, so far away from civilization, nothing to do. And then what are you doing here? Me? <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put this island on the map. Really? Yep. See that beat-up building down there by the beach? That once was a fine old plantation house. Yeah. Well, I'm going to turn it into a swanky hotel. Hotel? Sure, perfect spot for it with all those palm trees around it. And a golf course sweeping up over that hill. Of course, we'll have to clean all those dirty vines out. That dock is a pretty sick-looking thing, but the harbor's unnatural. What are you looking at through the binoculars? Devil's Cove. Why? What's going on down there? Nothing. I'm painting it. Through binoculars? Why don't you walk down there if you want to paint it? I prefer it this way. <laughs> That's the tropics for you. How lazy can you get? Mr. Gillespie, after you've been here a while, you'll learn to go with the island, not try to change it. Oh, you just wait and see. When I get through with this place, I'll make Nassau and Jamaica look like Rockaway Beach. Incidentally, those natives, they dress that way all the time in those faded old rags. You don't like it? Well, you got to keep it quaint, you know, as advertised. Got to give the tourists dollar value. We'll fix up the natives with bandanas and bright sashes, necklaces of coral, big earrings, baskets of fruit on their heads. Of course, they'll have to quit wearing those shoes. How about rings through their noses and a bone in their hair? <laughs> you know, I get the feeling you're not going to be very cooperative. It took me years to find a place that was remote from the world, and now that I have, I don't want it destroyed. Destroyed? Why, man, you're crazy. I'm going to do things for this island. 
I'll have this place humming in no time, and I'll... What's the matter? Don't you think I can do it? No, I don't, and I'll tell you why. Through the centuries, six flags have flown over this island, and each flag brought colonization and industry. Sugar, rum, the leaves of the bay tree, but not one of them could survive. Not one of them could hold back nature, the winds, the damp rot, the jungle, the vines that creep constantly day and night, ensnaring everything they touch. They couldn't do it, Mr. Gillespie, and neither can you or your hotel. No. You just watch me. I will. But if I thought you had one chance in a million to succeed, do you know what I'd do? What? I'd kill you. In the beginning, he stayed up on top of that hill of his like he owned the world. He ignored me completely until my tractors and bulldozers went to work. Then he began to come down more and more. I never heard him coming, and yet he always seemed to be around. And as I ran into trouble, wind, rain, rot, rats, I had to fight them all. It seemed to amuse him to watch me. Is your paradise fighting your back, Mr. Gillespie? Why don't you go up on your hill and stay there? What a beautiful swimming pool. A symbol of civilization. Do you expect it to last? Why, of course it'll last. Why don't you leave me alone? Be careful. It's bad to lose one's temper. The heat, you know. Yes, heat. Always heat. But I wouldn't give in to it. I drove myself. I drove everybody who worked for me. Come on, boys. We got two more hours of daylight. Get those vines out. They do grow, don't they? What do you want? Mm, I like to watch you fight them. It's such a useless task. They'll grow over you in the end, you know. Yeah? Well, I'll civilize this island. I'll show you. Go on and laugh all you want, but you'll see. When Andy Gillespie starts something, he finishes it. Before the summer was over, we'd cleaned away all the vines and seeded the golf course. We dynamited the harbor, rebuilt the docks, working 18 hours a day. And then one afternoon, just before the hotel was finished, she arrived. I just knocked off for the day, and I was sprawling in my hammock in front of my hut. Hello, Eddie. Amanda. What are you doing here? You weren't supposed to come until the hotel was open. Aren't you glad to see me? Where's Brewer? How did you get here? a launch. All the way from New York? <laughs> of course not. We've been anchored at Charlotte Amelia for a week. You didn't break with Brewer, did you? I told you not to break with him until after the hotel was finished. Don't get excited, Eddie. Brewer doesn't even know I'm here. He left this morning for Puerto Rico on a big deal. Oh. I haven't said you're glad to see me. I've forgotten. It's been so long I've forgotten how beautiful you are. Eddie... Uh, uh, look, uh, Amanda, you better go back if Brewer finds out that you've been What's here. the matter, Eddie? Are you afraid of Brewer? Of course I'm not afraid, but use your head. He financed my island. I'm going to take his girl away from him. Until I get on my feet here, let's keep everything on the up and up. <laughs> What's so funny? You and Brewer. What about Brewer? I was thinking of Brewer keeping everything on the up and up on his side. Look, Eddie, why do you think he set you up on this island? Because he wanted to own a hotel? A resort? What do you mean? It was an investment. <laughs> I'll say it was. Well, if you've got a point, Amanda, get to it. I will, I will. Treasure. That's the point. A million dollars worth of buried treasure. A million? You're crazy. That stuff isn't worth anything. I'm talking about a real treasure. The diamonds and emeralds and the pearls. 
the treasure Brewer's going to dig up. You mean there's a million dollars worth of stuff buried on this island? Not yet, but there will be after Brewer buries it. That doesn't make sense. Why would he do a thing like that? Oh, it makes sense. Brewer always makes sense. You know what he did? He bought a huge lot of stolen jewelry from an international fence. The pieces were so identifiable and so hot he was able to buy it for a song. But he couldn't get rid of it. Then you came along. Eddie Gillespie with his little island and his buried treasure gimmick. Wait a minute. He, he told you this? I was with him. We were on the yacht not far off the Azores when we made rendezvous with another boat and took the jewels aboard. And now Brewer's in Puerto Rico having the stones taken out of their settings. And when the time comes, he's going to dig them up out of your island in a moldy old sea chest in front of witnesses. Got every angle covered, all legitimate. So what? Aren't you interested? Well, if that's what he wants to do, that's his business. I've got the island and I'll have you. Will you? Amanda, what's the matter with you? What's eating you? A million dollars. I want it, Eddie. If you really want me to break with Brewer, you'll get it. What kind of talk is that? I thought you loved me. I do, Eddie. That's the point. I want us to have the money. But we'll have each other. That's not enough, Eddie. I want that million. I got a good mind to... What, Eddie? Shh, shh, shh. There's someone in the brush. Who's there? Who is it? Good evening. Clive, what are you doing here? You're always sneaking around. You're getting angry again. Get out of here. <laughs> what are you laughing at? I was just thinking how much trouble can be caused by a million dollars. In just a moment, we will return to escape. But first, it's a long time between fun on the weekends, but it's a lot shorter if you find the midweek fun that's here on most of these same CBS stations every Wednesday night. Midweek fun with Groucho Marx, Bing Crosby, and Burns and Allen in one, two, three order. Try listening to them all every Wednesday night. Groucho, Bing, and George and Gracie. And you'll find the week speeding by much more merrily. And now we return you to the second act of... Escape! She went back and I was left to finish the hotel. But the whole thing had soured for me. All my enthusiasm for the project was gone. But I buried the tourist bait, the pirate treasure. I scattered the pieces of eight, the rusted hinges, all the old relics over the island as per plan. And then I was open for business and the tourists began to pour in. A change came over Clive. Now he set up his easel down by the dock, and he was gay and gregarious, and I trusted him less and less. He was up to something. And what galled me, the tourists were crazy about him. <laughs> Whatever made you become a beachcomber, Clive? Women, beautiful women like yourself, they drove me to it. Oh, Clive, I don't believe a word you're saying, but it's fun. Where did you get him, Mr. Gillespie? He's priceless. Clive, why... I came with the island, standard equipment, along with the volcano and the treasure. Is there really treasure on the island? Well, you found a piece of an old saber yesterday, didn't you? Yes, and my husband found a golden sovereign, but I mean real treasure. Chests full of gold. Or... Look for it, Mrs. Chapman. Every cove, every bay. It could be anywhere, on the mountain, in the jungle. 
Legend says that Captain Kidd himself stopped here, loaded with treasure from the Spanish main. He slew all the Caribs, every single one, buried his loot, and sailed away. And as legend has it, he never came back. Just think of finding it. Then dig, Mrs. Chapman, dig. Take one of our donkeys and a pick and shovel and go out on the trail. Oh, I will. I'm going again this morning. Mr. Gillespie, I'm simply mad about your island. Thank you. Simply, darling. Oh, oh, there's my husband. Oh, here I am, Fred. Come along, dear. See you boys later. Aren't, uh... Aren't you overdoing it? I'm just being helpful. Adding local color. All that stuff about a legend... You didn't talk that way when I first came here. Mm, things are different now. By the way, when is your pirate coming? Pirate? Brewer, I think you called him. It was two days later that Brewer and Amanda arrived. I was on the veranda watching as the seaplane settled on the water. I watched them walk up to the hotel. Oh, yes. Clive was on the dock painting. He watched them, too. Hello, Eddie. Hello, Eddie. Hi. Good to see you, Eddie. You've done a great job with the hotel. Paradise. That's the name for it, all right. It's the best investment I ever made, Eddie. Well, I even read about your Al in the New York papers. You got a big spread about tourists finding old pieces of eight in an old sea chest. Ah, that was positive inspiration, Eddie. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, wasn't it? What's the matter? Don't you feel well? You look tired. You've been working too hard. Come on up to the room. We'll have a drink. He was so charming and so relaxed, I began to wonder if Amanda had told me the truth. For the next week or so, I watched him all the time. But he was just a guy on vacation having a whale of a good time. Look at him. The life of the party. Come on outside. I want to talk to you. You know, I think you lied to me. I don't think there is any treasure. Don't be a fool. Of course there is. And when is he going to bury it? I don't know. We'll just have to wait. If I find out that you lied... Eddie, you don't believe I... Maybe you're trying to pull some kind of a double cross on me. Let's go back, Eddie. I think you sound beautiful. Well, if you want exercise, why don't you come out and dig with us, Brewer? I will one of these days. Oh, that's what you've been saying all week. Look at my waistline. I've taken off an inch. Why don't you come tomorrow, Mr. Brewer? It's lots of fun. I like to sleep in the morning. Oh, come on. Sure, come on. Be a sport. Okay, I'll dig with you tomorrow morning. Who knows, I might be lucky. Tomorrow <laughs> morning? Eddie, that means he'll have to bury it tonight. Yeah. You'll have to watch him. Don't let him out of your sight. I waited outside until every window was dark, until the hotel was quiet. I waited and waited, but he didn't come. And still I waited until... Still up, Eddie? Clive! You might as well get your sleep. He isn't going to bury the treasure tonight. What do you mean? How do you know? Because he's already buried it. Well, you're crazy. He couldn't have. I've watched him constantly. Apparently not close enough. What about the hour just before dinner when you and the girl were on the other side of the volcano? Where did he bury it? Tell me. In Devil's Cove. Devil's Cove? Oh, there's no point in your going there now. You don't think I'd leave it there, do you? I dug it up. I know I couldn't trust you. All I talk about getting away from civilization, you know, better than anybody else. Oh, I'm not going to keep the jewels. What would I do with money? Yeah? 
And where are they? I buried them again. You what? You ought to thank me. I'm making an honest man out of you, Eddie. You advertise buried treasure on your island? Well, now you have it. Like you said, gotta give the tourists dollar value. Why? Just think, tomorrow or the day after, or next month, one of your tourists will dig it up as advertised. Clive, look, don't do this to me. If you don't want the jewels, just tell me where they are. I'll give you anything, only just tell me. And miss all the fun? Oh, no. <laughs> morning, Eddie. Good morning. Great day, isn't it? You coming out the diggings with us? No, uh, no, Brewer, I've got some work to do here. Say, you look tired, Eddie. You work too hard. You ought to take it easy. Have some fun. Relax. Relax. I wondered how relaxed he'd be when all he dug up was dirt. I watched him go off down the trail with the other guests. I tried to concentrate on my work. The hotel was quiet. Everyone was at the diggings, but I couldn't think. I was checking supplies in the wine cellar when Amanda came back. You should have been there, Eddie. Oh, you should have seen his face when he found it was gone. Where'd you put it, Eddie? I haven't got it. Of course you have. I told you, I don't have it. What are you trying to do? Double-cross me? Brewer! Paul, I... will take care of you later, Amanda. But, Paul, he forced me to tell him... She's lying. All right, Eddie. Where is it? I don't know. Come on, Eddie, talk. I haven't got it, I tell you. Clive took it. Clive, who's that? Clive, the beachcomber. He saw you bury it, he dug it up and buried it again. Nobody saw me bury it except maybe you. Wait a minute, will you? I tell you, it's true. Talk. Where'd you put it? Talk. Talk. It's no use. I haven't got it. You'll tell me the truth if I have to beat you in... Amanda. I had to do it. He killed it. Don't worry, everyone's at the diggings. No one could have heard it. Oh, Eddie, your face. What'll we do with him? Oh, when everyone's asleep, we'll get rid of him. I'm glad I killed him, Eddie. Now it all belongs to us. I haven't got it. You, you mean you were telling the truth about that beachcomber? Yeah, yeah, he moved it. He buried it some other place. Because he wants one of the tourists to find it. It's part of his plan to get even with me. We can't let anyone else find it, Eddie. We've got to do something. Oh, my head. Eddie, listen to me. We've got to get rid of the tourists. Yeah, yeah, good. Got to get rid of them, every one of them. We waited until siesta, when all the guests would be asleep in their rooms. Then we went to the construction shed for the dynamite that was left over from blasting the harbor. We loaded it and Brewer onto a donkey and went up the back trail to the volcano crater. I pushed Brewer into the crater, planted the dynamite inside the top edge. Amanda strung the wire down the slope to a cave on the east side of the island. I went down to the cave. My island was asleep. I had my hand on the plunger. I was ready to throw it, and then I realized fully what I was about to do. With one gesture, I'd be destroying everything I'd worked so hard for. Eddie, what's the matter? I can't do it. Give it to me. No, Amanda, no! No! I sat on the side of the mountain and watched the island become alive with frantic, frightened people. They streamed out of the hotel, half-dressed, clutching their belongings. They tripped over one another in their frenzy to get to their boats, terrified of a dead volcano. Our threatened eruption was a complete success. By nightfall, there wasn't a tourist on the island. Even the natives had scurried away in their canoes like so many frightened rats. And there were just the three of us left. Amanda Clive and me. 
How will we get the treasure? We can't dig up the whole island. We won't have to. Any man that's got that much loot stashed away will dig it up himself. You can't tell me money doesn't mean anything to him. We'll wait. And we did. We waited and got on each other's nerves. We waited until we couldn't stand it anymore. But Clive didn't make a move to dig it up. It was clear he'd never go near it as long as we were there. Our only escape was to dig. We started in systematically on the east side of the island, then the north. In the rain, in the wind, in the boiling sun. This was heater. I can't take it anymore, Eddie. I'm tired. I never thought I'd hear you say that. This was all your idea, don't forget. I don't care, Eddie. Why don't you give it up? Get away from here. What? Go and let him have it all now. So that's what you want, is it? It's Clive now, huh? You and Clive. Well, you won't get your treasure that way. I'm staying and I'm going to dig without you. I'm going to dig until I drop. It was hot. It was always hot. My eyes ached from the glare of the sun, but I forced myself to keep going. For days, I'd been digging near the old sugar mill. But today, I had a feeling I'd be lucky. My pick hit something hard. I dropped to my knees and furiously began to claw the dirt with my hands. But it was only rock, a big rock. I moved it aside, and there it was. A pearl... One single pearl framed by the fresh imprint of a sea chest. And then I heard him from a long way off. Clive, and he was laughing at me. He was watching me through those binoculars of his, and he was laughing at me. And suddenly I knew what his game was. That's why I hadn't found the treasure in all this time, because he'd kept moving it. And he'd left a pearl behind this time to tell me he'd done it. I knew then what I had to do. I had to kill him. I went up the hill by the back trail. And just at the top, I stopped and took a firmer grip on my pick. Clive's back was to me. He was sitting exactly the way he had been the first time I saw him, in a tangle of vines painting through binoculars. I crept up to him. I raised my pick and brought it down with all my strength. But it was too late. He'd sensed me and ducked the blow. The picket ripped through the canvas. In fury, I raised to strike it again and my hands froze in midair as I stared at the torn canvas. It was a picture of me. And the picket pierced my chest. Me holding a pearl in my hand and the look on the face he'd painted was horrible. The pick slid out of my hands. Here's your pick, Eddie. Take it. You'll need it. Take it, Eddie, and dig. And by the way, I had to kick Amanda out again today. Keep her home, will you? (laughs) That was months ago. How many months? I've lost count. The jungle has claimed the island again, just like he said it would. The damp rot, the hurricanes, the vines... The hotel sags on its timbers and the big front door is gone. The last wind took most of the roof. And there are bougainvillea roots growing up through the cracks in the swimming pool. The jungle has claimed Amanda, too. She's lost interest in everything, except Clive, and he won't have her. 
she doesn't care about the treasure anymore, she won't dig. But not me. The jungle's not going to get me. Nothing is going to stop Eddie Gillespie. Every day I dig. Once in a while I hear him up on top of the hill laughing. And I know he's moved it again. But someday I'll beat him to it. Someday I'll find it. Yeah. Someday. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Tonight we have presented Treasure Incorporated by John and Gwen Bagney. Featured in the cast were Frank Lovejoy as Eddie, John Hoyt as Clive, Mary Lansing as Amanda, and Harry Bartell as Brewer. Also heard were Eileen Prince and Paul Fries. Special music was arranged and conducted by Del Castillo. Next week... You are sitting in a cheerless gray cell... Staring at the rain through the small barred window above your head and struggling desperately to keep your sanity. For in 12 hours, you must die or escape. Next week, we escape with James Poe's seething tale of blasphemous terror and violent death. Present tense, starring... Vincent Price. Goodbye, then, until this same time next week when once again we offer you Escape. It's no joke when an accident happens to you, and an accident can happen to you. This winter, take time to be careful. Whether you're driving or walking in traffic, be cautious. Cross streets with care. Drive safely. Keep your wits and windshield clear. In traffic, walking, or driving, be careful. Be sure to join us at this same time next week when we offer you Escape, starring Vincent Price. And now stay tuned for Pursuit, which follows immediately over most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Yes, Roma wines taste better because only Roma selects from the world's greatest wine reserves for your pleasure. And now, Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, Roma Wines presents... Suspense. Tonight, Roma Wines bring you Miss Ann Baxter in Always Room at the Top. Suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear. Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills, is presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Those better-tasting California wines enjoyed by more Americans than any other wine. For friendly entertaining, for delightful dining. Yes, right now, a glass full would be very pleasant as Roma Wines bring you Ann Baxter in a remarkable tale of... Suspense! Reception. Yes, she is, Miss Thornton. Very well, Miss Thornton. I'll have her come in. Miss Brand. Yes? 
Miss Thornton will see you now. A large corner office at the end of the hall. Thank you. Jean Thornton was a tall, square-shouldered blonde with high cheekbones and a good figure. And nervous as a cat. More than that. I hadn't been in her office five minutes before I knew that she was afraid of something. Her boss, the responsibilities of her job, something. I couldn't understand it. She was art director of William J. Farrell and Company, one of the best advertising agencies in town. She had everything I wanted, professionally and a couple of other ways. And yet she was afraid. I couldn't understand it. Then? Yes, yes, these are quite good. Quite good, Miss... Uh... Brandt. Helen Brandt. Oh, yes, Miss Brandt. Quite good. But, um, cigarette. Thanks. Oh, how cute. <laughs> Silly thing. Mr. Farrell sent it to me from Mexico. Where else in the world would anybody have the patience to sit down and put together a musical cigarette case? But, as I was saying... Uh, what was I saying? Oh, oh, yes. Uh, yes. These are really very good layouts, Miss uh, Brandt. I like them. But I don't quite see how we can use you just now. You said that before, Miss Thornton. Yes, so I did. Well, look, Miss Thornton, I don't need the job. I'm not one of those desperate people that's coming to cry on your shoulder. I have a job at Maxfield and Ellis. But they're stupid there. I'm not getting any place. In a firm like this where people have imagination, you have a chance. That's all I want, a chance. So do a lot of other people, Miss Brand. Well, I'm not a lot of other people. I think I've got ability and you know it. Commercial ability. I think I could be professional. Yes, yes. Well, if there's an opening, we'll get in touch with you. You'll get in touch. I know what that means. I've been given the brush off by X. That will be all, Miss Brand. But I'm sick of being brushed off. I've got ability, as much as you have and maybe more, and I'll show Ms. you. Miss Brent, will you leave my office or shall I have you thrown out? All right, Miss Thornton. Good day. Of course, that would be the last time I'd ever lay eyes on Jean Thornton. That's what I thought. I went back to my office and worked most of the night catching up on my own stuff doing a little extra that I was peddling around town. I was standing on the sidewalk, kidding with a night elevator man, while I waited for a cab, and looking up at the tower against the early morning sky. That dark tower, 36 floors above the street, and three blocks up the avenue, where the William J. Farrell Agency had their offices, and where I'd have given my right arm to be working. <laughs> You'll miss all your beauty sleep working this late, Miss Brandt. Now, Charlie, who says I need beauty sleep? Oh, you don't. <laughs> I like to work at night. It's quiet. Think of all the sunrises I see. Look at that sky. Yeah, it's going to be a nice day, I guess. Look! I saw the body falling and the scream came to us at the same moment. We stood there frozen, horrified, fascinated. Oh, Lord. I wish I hadn't seen that. Charlie, that was someone from the Farrell Agency. Whoever it was, poor devil. A woman. Oh, wait, Miss Brand. I wouldn't go up there. Miss Brand. Even by the time I got there, a patrol car had appeared out of nowhere, the way they will in this town. And the usual crowd of early birds and night owls standing around gawking. They were trying to cover it up with a blanket. All right, stand back. Stand back. Oh, who is it? You know, oh, you couldn't tell anyway. Uh, a woman. I wanted to look, but I, I couldn't. A cop was picking up stuff that had rolled out of a handbag into the street, going through it methodically, opening things up. And then I heard it, and I didn't have to look. I knew. We've got 
I tell you, I don't know when Mr. Farrell's coming in. I don't know. You wouldn't try to kid the press, would you, sister? You might as well tell us because we'll just sit here anyway until... Hey, there he is now. Mr. Farrell, Mr. Farrell, I'm from the news. I'd like to know if... Please, I can't tell you anything now. Mr. Farrell, I'm Helen Brandt. Mr. Farrell, my paper would like to know if Miss Corbett... Get out of that door now. Please, please, get out of here. All of you, get out. I told you I can't talk to any reporters. Now, give me a few I'm not a reporter, Mr. Farrell. I'm Helen Brandt. I'm art director of a small advertising agency, but I've got some samples here. Mr. Farrell, please, just look at these. You're going to have to have a new art director. What did you say? Sure, you're shocked. But it can't hurt her. And I've been trying to see you for months, and now you're on a spot, and if you just look... Take those things out of my face and get out of here. Just look at them first. That's all I ask. All I ask is that you... Well. And, uh... This one, for Parker's shoes. I've followed Miss Thornton's general ideas, but I've added, well, that. Mm-hmm. They're good, Mr. Farrell. And if you say they aren't... All right. All right, they're good. They're very good. But if you think I'd hire a woman who hasn't any more decency than to barge in here at a time like this and try to push... Decency? What's decency got to do with it? Do you need an art director or a Sunday school teacher? Now, look, Mr. Farrell, now, if you don't mind, my people want to know what Miss Thornton was doing in her office at 5 o'clock this morning. She must have been working all night on the new Parker layouts. They have to be out by... They have to be out by 3 this afternoon. Working all night. Maybe went to the window for fresh air. Tired, got dizzy. Look, Miss... um... Brant. Helen Brant. Uh, Miss Brant. Miss Brant, I think you're one of the most despicable women I've ever had the misfortune to meet. But I've got a very big job to get out this afternoon. My assistant art director's home sick, and by the time I interview Thanks. these... You can arrange the details with my secretary in there. And frankly, the less I have to do with you myself, the better I'll like it. I think you'll change your mind about that, Mr. Farrell. Now, Mr. Farrell, if All you right, mind, we know things are tough, tough and you don't want to tell it, but... Yes? Are you, uh... Mr. Farrell's secretary, yes. Oh, well, I'm Helen Brandt. Marie Harris, how do you do? How do you do? I'm... Taking Miss Thornton's place. Taking Miss Thornton's place, I see. Yes, temporarily. Well, you're not one to let the grass grow under your feet, are you, my dear? Mr. Farrell said I could arrange the details with you. To be sure. I expect you'd better make out one of our regular employment forms. Oh, thank you. Temporarily, you said. Yes. Still, doesn't it feel a bit odd to be filling a dead woman's shoes that are hardly cold, so to speak? I don't see anything so odd about it, Miss Harris. Somebody would have to. No, of course you wouldn't. Uh, By previous experience, does it mean just in the advertising business? Any experience that might be applicable. It has occurred to you, I suppose, Miss Brandt, that when someone like Miss Thornton is cut off in mid-career, so to speak, there's usually a reason for it? They say it was an accident. An accident, do they? Oh, will this be all right, Miss Harris? Yes, yes, that will do. Of course, there's always the possibility of suicide. I suppose you thought of that. I suppose it might have been. Will you show me my office, please? Certainly, this way. Might as well have the dead woman, that is, Miss Thornton's office. And, of course, there is another possibility, isn't there? What other possibility? The possibility of murder. Murder? Why, yes. Here's your office, Miss Brad. If you need anything, just call me. I want to make you as comfortable as possible under the circumstances. For suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you Ann Baxter in Always Room at the Top. Roma Wines' presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. 
Between the acts of suspense, this is Ken Niles for Roma Wines. Next time you buy wine, remember, more Americans enjoy Roma than any other wine. Yes, Roma wine is America's first choice because there's an important difference in Roma wine. A difference in fuller bouquet, richer body, better taste. A difference that means more enjoyment, more pleasure for you and your guests. To bring you wines that are superior, that taste better, Roma starts with California's choicest grapes. Then Roma master vintners with America's finest winemaking resources guide this choice grape treasure unhurriedly to tempting taste perfection. Later, along with Roma wines of years before, these cuvées await selection from the world's greatest reserves of fine wines for your pleasure. That's what makes the difference in Roma wines. That's why Roma wines taste better every time. So for your best buy in good taste, insist on Roma wine. R-O-M-A. Roma the greatest name in wine. And now, Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Anne Baxter as Helen Brandt, with Kathy Lewis as Marie, and Wally Mayer as Bill Farrell in Always Room at the Top, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. I'd met Marie Harris's type before. Jealous of her authority as the boss's secretary, resentful of every newcomer, and determined to make them uncomfortable. Though it was only natural for her to resent someone like myself, a total stranger who walked into the job of art director for one of the best advertising outfits in town, the William J. Farrell Agency. And even though Mr. Farrell had said, temporary, I knew that I had the job. I knew it before the first campaign was over. I was in. And then... One night, the first of those funny little things began to happen. I was just taking off my hat and coat when I saw it there on my desk. A picture. A big framed picture of a dead girl, Jean Thornton. And written across the face of it, it said, Bill, darling, to the swellest guy and the swellest boss any girl ever had. Admiring your predecessor, Miss Brandt? Where did that come from? I'm sure I haven't the faintest idea. It wasn't there when I left last night. Somebody put it there. Possibly some well-wisher, Miss Brandt. Some sincere well-wisher. It's a sort of warning. A warning of what? What are you driving at? Miss Thornton and Mr. Farrell were quite close at one time. And what's that got to do with me? You know what happened, Miss Brandt, to Miss Thornton? Look, Marie... Are you hinting that female art directors in this office have a habit of falling for the boss and then falling out the window? I'm not hinting anything, Miss Brandt. You asked me for an explanation of how the picture got there. I've given you one. Doubtless it is far-fetched. Certainly it must seem so to you. It's crazy. Of course. Will that be all, Miss Brandt? Listen, Marie. Let's you and I cut out the formality and let down our hair. Is there anything around here that I, well, ought to know? I'm sure I don't know what you mean, Miss Brandt. All right. The girl who used to have my job is dead. You've been hitting around enough about it. Is there anything that you know that I don't? Now, is that plain enough? Quite. I can only say that I have not hinted at anything. I have perhaps engaged in certain idle speculations on matters which were better left as they are. That's all. Okay, Marie. But the way things look now, I'm liable to be around here for quite a while. Oh, I should think it likely. And you and I ought to learn to get along. You'll have no trouble getting along with me, Miss Brandt. 
But you mean I may with him? I can only say, Miss Brandt, as your sincere friend... And well-wisher? Yes. That you're working for a man who's subject to singularly strong enthusiasms. Sometimes these enthusiasms are apt to be carried to extremes. It is essential to appreciate this in dealing with Mr. Farrell. I don't suppose this picture gag would be one of Mr. Farrell's little enthusiasms. Under the circumstances, I should think it most unlikely. And it wouldn't be one of yours, my little well-wisher. No, Miss Brandt, it would not. You couldn't help but believe her. She was so prim and proper. But I was determined to have a showdown anyway on the whole thing. My job and everything. I stalked into Bill Farrell's office with a picture in my hand and without benefit of knocking. Oh, hello, Helen. Come in. Something that appears to be from your desk seems to have popped up on mine. Hmm? Here. Where did you get that? I just told you. On my desk. Your ever-tactful Marie has suggested that some well-wisher left it as a warning. Oh, poor Jean. She gave me that when... That explanation still seems to leave several questions unanswered, Mr. Powell. Look, Helen, you'll hear a lot of funny things in this office, like any other office. But take my word for it, they don't mean a thing. Just do your job the way you've been doing it, and you'll, uh, you'll be all right. How right is that? You like the job, don't you? I like the work. I haven't got the job. Do you want it? What do you think? Well, you've certainly earned it, Helen. Will you stop beating around the bush? Am I the new art director of the William J. Farrell Agency or not? <laughs> All right, you are. You are hereby officially the new art director of the <laughs> William J. Farrell Agency. From this day forward until... Until what? As long as you want the job, Helen. Until death do us part... It's what he'd started to say. I forgot it, though. I forgot it almost the moment he said it. For the next 24 hours, I was walking on air. It wasn't just a job. It was something even better. I knew Bill Farrell was falling in love with me. I knew that was just a matter of time, too. <laughs> Morning, Marie. Mr. Farrell in? Not yet, Miss Brandt. I wish you wouldn't be so formal with me, Marie. Everybody calls everybody else by their first names around here except you. I'm used to more conventional methods in most things, Miss Brandt. Okay, okay. Uh, let me know when he comes in, though, will you? I want to see him. Yes, Miss Brandt. Hello, Bill, darling. You hear it? Yes, there's that silly little thing you sent me from Mexico. I got it just this morning, darling. And so I wanted to tell you how sweet it was. And thank you this way. Marie! 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 Yes, Miss Brand. Marie, I... I just heard her voice. Whose voice, Miss Brand? Hers. Jean. Miss Thornton's. Why don't you lie down on the couch for a moment, Miss Brand? You've been working too hard lately, and I'll get you some water. No, I tell you, I heard it. Right in this room. In this room? Yes, I know it was because... There was that, that music box, too, that cigarette case of hers. Oh, yes, yes, I remember. So do I, because the last time I heard it was down there when they were picking up the thing. There's no one here now, Miss Brandt. No one but you and me. I know, but I heard it. Was she, was it speaking to you, this voice? No, to Bill, to Mr. Farrell. Something personal. Oh, I dare say. Have you ever looked in this closet by the door, Miss Brandt? Why, not especially, no. I think there's probably a perfectly logical explanation of what you heard, Miss Brandt. 
Yes, you see? Oh. A dictograph. It used to be Miss Thornton's. They use dictographs for everything in this office. They say it saves them $40,000 a year in stenographic help. I see. Something must have turned it on. Yes, there, you see? This box of pencils that has fallen off the shelf. It must have been that. What turned it off, Marie? I'm sure I don't know. It's quite simple, isn't it? Here's the switch. Hello, Bill, darling. Stop it. Stop it. Yes, Miss Brand. And I'll get it out of here. Certainly, Miss Brand. Is there any particular... I don't care what you do with it. Do anything you like. Throw it out the window. What was that, Miss Brand? Just get it out of here. And leave me alone. Silly, I know that. It could have happened that way. It must have. Just as Marie said. And all the time in the back of my mind was a lurking horror. A nameless thing that I felt hanging over that office. And over me. Something about a girl who was dead. A girl who had plunged to her death from that same dark tower that was now my dark tower. Plunged screaming to her death only a few short weeks ago. The next night, I had to work late again to make up. I'd been out to supper, alone. I was conscious of the light still burning in Bill's office when I got back. I wasn't particularly anxious to see him just then. Be truthful, I was avoiding him, I suppose. I'd been in my office about an hour and a half when the phone rang. I thought it was strange, because I was certain that I'd asked to have my nightline disconnected. Out of habit, I picked it up to answer. Hello, Bill. Bill, is that you? Bill! 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 What, Helen? What, what is it? Oh, Bill. Helen, darling. Here, tell me. Baby, oh. baby, what is it? What's happened? I heard her. Again. Heard who, dear? Jean. Jean Thornton. Jean? Yes, on the telephone. I know it was. I swear it... But, darling, it couldn't have been. Oh, Bill, I think I'm going mad. Oh, Helen, darling, listen to me. The picture, the dictograph. All right, but this... Helen, Helen, look at me. Yes, Bill. I love you, Helen. You know that, don't you? Yes. Oh, yes, darling, I do. I'm afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of, darling. No, not that. I'm afraid because now I know that you're afraid. I am? Yes. You are, aren't you? Helen, I... Bill, please. You've got to tell me now. Now, look, darling, I'm in a jam, a bad jam, an awful bad jam. Yes, it but it, must it's, be. it's nothing that you have to worry about. It's nothing that isn't going to straighten itself out. It's nothing that I'm going to let affect us ever. Bill, if it affects you, it does affect us. Darling, darling, you've got to trust me just a little longer. Bill, I do, I will. But it's about Jean, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it's about Jean. And it was. She didn't just... It was a terrible thing, Helen. Terrible. About as terrible as it could be. But, Helen, just remember this, darling. There's nothing to be afraid of. It'll all be over soon. Very soon. Is that all? All you can tell me? It's all I can tell you now. Oh, darling, I know what this is like for you. But please, please go home now and forget all about it. How can I forget about it? Well, try. Try anyway. I've got some things to finish up here. And then I'll call for you and we'll start making our plans. Oh, you will marry me, won't you, Helen? Oh, Bill. Yes. Then, then everything's all right. Go on now, go on. All right. Good night for now, my dearest. Good night. I went out. I didn't go home. I couldn't. I walked. Walked for miles, trying to think. But nothing made any sense. Except that I was in love. 
and in an agony of fear for what might happen to spoil it. And suddenly I realized that I had to know everything. Now, tonight, whatever it was. So I went back to the office. Bill's light was still on, and I was just at the door you when I stopped. You insane, crazy. Suppose somebody saw you and recognized you. You sent me a message. You sent me a message. I did not. I gave no message to no one. Why do you lie to me like that? I'm not lying to you. you then I heard it. I threw open the door, and she was standing there. Jean. Jean Thornton. A woman who is dead. lying on the couch in Bill's office. At first it seemed perfectly natural, lying there and Bill sitting beside me, holding my hands, and her there, Jean, standing over by the desk, talking to him. Well, what are you going to do about her? Do? What do you mean, do? You're going to have to do something she knows, doesn't she, or she will when she snaps out of it. I'm not going to do anything. I suppose you're in love with her. What if I am? Because it makes a difference, my sweet, to me. Bill? Oh, darling. Bill? Darling, it's all right. Is she... Is she really? Yes. Yes, it's Jean. But I saw her. That morning I saw her That's lying. what you were supposed to think. Then who... Just a girl. Oh, you might as well tell her. At least then she'll be in it as deep as the rest of us. Jean, please... Your boyfriend there had been dipping into the till about a quarter of a million dollars worth of the client's money. My insurance and what the company had me insured for was just about enough to cover it. Like a fool, I agreed to it. You suggested it! I thought he was in love with me then. But... There was a girl. A girl who worked in the office. No friends, no family. I fired her the day before, then got her to come up here that night. Another chance. Modeling, I said, was my clothes. A cigarette case. I dug up another one. I knew people would remember that. Oh, Bill. I told you it was bad. Oh, darling, I don't care. I don't care what it was. As long as... I think you'd better let me take charge of things now, Mr. Farrell. Marie. Please don't move. I'm quite prepared to shoot if I have to. Marie, this is insane. Is it? It's a shakedown. What do you want, Marie? Quite a lot, I'm afraid, Mr. Bell. And how do you expect to get it? It's your word against ours, three of us. You forget, Miss Thornton, that you are legally dead. As for the rest, do you remember, Miss Brandt, that I said we used dictographs for practically everything in this office? It was you that... I tried my best to warn you, Miss Brandt. I'm truly sorry for you. Listen. You might as well tell her. At least then she'll be in as deep as the rest of us. Jean, please. Your boyfriend there had been dipping into the till about a quarter of a million dollars worth of Client's money. My insurance. There is more, of course, but I'm sure that will suffice. Now, Miss Thornton, I think you and I had better have a little talk alone. What do you want us to do, Marie? I'll come to you later, Mr. Farrell. For the moment, I must ask you to step into the conference room behind you. You too, Miss Brandt. Marie! Please, Mr. Farrell, not now. I shall have to lock you in, but it will not be for long, I think. You know, of course, that there's no other way out except down. <laughs> stood there, huddled together by the locked door, but we could hear nothing. Until there was a sound like a window being opened, and then... Oh, Marie! 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 Take him out now. What have you done to her? Miss Thornton has, shall we say, taken the easy way out. You mean you forced her? Very well, if you prefer. I'm sure it can make little difference now. You, Miss Brandt, I take it, are in love with Mr. Farrell, in spite of my warnings. Yes. That I'm sure I can count on your silence, knowing the results to Mr. Farrell if you were to break it. Yes, yes, anything. But I'm afraid your marital plans will have to wait. What do you mean? I think it's best this way, for my own protection. Of course, if anything were to happen to Mr. Farrell, 
This way, everything would come to me. What would? How? The firm and the money. You see, Miss Brandt, Mr. Farrell is going to marry me. I looked at Bill. I knew he'd do as she said. What else? I turned and left the room without speaking. In my own office, I found the little automatic where lately I'd always kept it. When I came back, Bill was staring out the window, and Marie was making up her face from a little compact. They didn't even glance in my direction. I'm waiting for the police. I've been looking over the new layout. The Dossett Soap campaign is particularly good. We did it together, Bill and I. The theme was a bride and groom. Suspense. Presented by Roma Wines. R-O-M-A. Roma, America's favorite wine. This is Ken Niles bringing back to our suspense audience the lovely, talented star of tonight's play, Ann Baxter. And you did a marvelous job. We're sorry you weren't cast as a sweet young thing tonight, but then <laughs> most of our suspense characters are pretty rugged, you know. Well, I can't be the sweet young thing all the time, Mr. Niles. Well, bad or good, to show you how we feel about your Ann, here's a gift basket of Roma wines with the compliments oh. of your host tonight, Roma Wines. Thank you, Ken. And Roma, too. Let's see, is there a Roma wine in my basket that goes with baked beans? It's a Saturday night favorite. Oh, positively, Anne. For a combination fit for a king, try this delicious Roma California Burgundy with old-fashioned baked beans. Mmm, it's a tempting treat. And whatever the dish, robust Roma Burgundy adds zest to everyday meals. Ken, I could use you at home to help sell my cooking. <laughs> no need of that, Anne, when you serve Roma Burgundy. You'll find Roma Burgundy works wonders for the simplest dishes brings out the natural flavor goodness of any hearty food. And remember, with Roma wines, you enjoy an important difference, an extra goodness in fuller bouquet, richer body, and better taste. Yes, that difference in Roma wines, that better taste, is the reason more Americans enjoy Roma than any other wine. It certainly makes sense, Ken. Thank you, and good night. Anne Baxter is currently being seen in the 20th Century Fox Daryl F. Zanuck production... The Razor's Edge. Tonight's suspense play was written by Eleanor Beeson. Next Thursday, same time, you will hear William Bendix as star of Suspense. Produced and directed by William Spear for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California. Until next week, enjoy more suspense thrills as compiled in Suspense Magazine. In the coming weeks, Suspense will present such stars as James Stewart, Eddie Bracken, Howard DeSilva, and others. Make it a point to listen each Thursday to Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills.
Stay tuned for the thrilling adventures of the FBI in peace and war, following immediately over most of these stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Hi, I'm Jesse. I'm Tamahome. I'm Christine. We've just finished listening to uh, two episodes of uh, your favorite, two series, Mm -hmm. Escape and Suspense. Yes. (laughs) Hadn't heard either of these before. We go Escape, Suspense. I'm usually looking at uh, an adaptation of of a story. These are both originals. Yes. What, What percentage do you think of these two shows are original rather than adaptations? Um, more, uh, Suspense had more original work. Escape is, uh, most Escape episodes were based on, um, some sort of classic work, a short story or a, or a book or what have you. Um, and probably maybe a third of Escape was written just for that show. And I think a lot of those sort of came at the end, um, in the, you know, like in the last year or so of that, uh, but they're spread out. Um, but for suspense, there's far more uh, that was originally written for that show. But I chose this one um, for Escape, Treasure Inc., because it's one of their, you know, very best examples of um, the kind of radio plays that they could do that just are so well done. And it was done by John and Gwen Bagney, who were um, they did several original radio plays for Escape, and they're all very good. And they were quite a good husband and wife writing team. Um, he died. She went on to and continued her career as a writer. Um, but their work is just so good. And Treasure Inc. is uh, really a timeless kind of. It's it's it was done in 1950, but you know you could very easily update that today. I think it's. Um, there's so much going on in that yeah, except for that line about I belong to Chuck still yeah. <laughs> or something. other than that I think it's it's pretty it's 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 pretty it, it seems dated by that but uh, it's it's very uh, it's well crafted yeah the female character is a little dated because but um, the rest of it it's just you know layer upon layer of double cross but at the same time, you have, you know, just this lesson about trying to go against nature in a place where you shouldn't try and go against nature. And, you know, Eddie, the main character, is warned over and over again not to do this. And he he just, bolt, you know, goes ahead and, and does it. And it, it's just he's mocked by the elements. <laughs> he's mocked by the island, by Clive. It's just... And he, at the end, you sort of get the escape was good. It's sort of the hopeless ending right. where, you know, you, you get, they bring you into the life of a character. You have this drama, but it's not necessarily going to end on a happy note. They're usually like left somewhere and you don't know what's going to happen to them. And the character of Eddie is left behind on this island to, to keep digging and digging, um, looking for this treasure that he, you know, will be forever, um, you know, hidden from him by Clive, <laughs> and it's sort mm-hmm. of this eternal do. So, what is Clive doing this for? I, I that's the only thing I didn't understand. Clive does not want. He doesn't like Eddie. He doesn't like what Eddie has done to the island. 
he doesn't want. But it, it seems like it's he's seen it before, right? Uh, yeah, there's like a, he said, you know, other people have kind of. Went, yeah, well, he wants the island always wins. Exactly, he won't leave the island as it is. You know, it, it's it's six different flags have come in and and tried to tame this place, and nothing has worked. And um, he, you know, left civilization to to find this beautiful place, and now Eddie wants to destroy it. So. Um, that was, I, I believe that's the motivation for Clyde, Clive, is just that um, he's, in a way, protecting the island. Yeah. He, he's, he's, it's almost like a, it would be a femme fatale sort of story if, if uh, the female lead was, was more prominent. Yeah. Um, but uh, what about the, um, the, the setting? See, I think we see that, is that true, that in a lot of escape episodes it is like a sort of an exotic locale like a yeah. south america or it, you know mexico so, something sunny <laughs> you yeah. know get, get people out of their living room yeah exactly they do take you somewhere else you know anywhere else <laughs> but well, it, it escape the everyday whatever it is <laughs> exactly and that's what um you know appealed to me about when i first started listening to it is um it, it really you know, it, it's even though the episodes are over 50 years old now, they still, you know, they still work in providing an escape. You can get mm-hmm. involved in the story and the place, and it sort of pulls you out of where you are. So it's still effective. Mm-hmm. What, you can go what, anywhere in radio. Yeah, you, exactly. <laughs> what, do you know what time of day? These are like evening shows, right? They're like yeah. after dinner? Or? Yeah, I believe, yeah. Yeah, so it's like primetime television, uh, I guess, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, um, and more. Uh, it, it was it was filling the same sort of function. The thing, you know, everybody's listening to Escape on Thursday nights or yeah. Thursdays, yeah. And then the next day at Friday, they'll be talking about that episode they heard last night. Yeah. Although Escape, you know, it's... I. It sort of bounced around a lot. It didn't. It was a substitute for suspense, and um, it didn't quite have the regular slot that um, suspense had. Because, but suspense kind of anchored it for you know, uh, made us es- made escape possible <laughs> for a while. But escape just seems to. Uh, I'm I'm not really a radio historian. I'm more of an episode historian. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> I won't really go into the details too much. But escape just sort of had sponsorship problems and it bounced around it was you know it had its issues and it would have been great to have more of it um, at but, the end of the uh episode it, it says stay tuned for pursuit <laughs> so it's <a laughs> escape and pursuit and i looked up pursuit and uh apparently that was a mystery show hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, you'd think that uh, escape and then pursuit uh, would be first. <laughs> pursuit would come first and then escape, or I don't know, something like that. But they must have been twinned by that. The names aren't accidental, I would guess. I guess so. There's also romance, which was. Aha! Uh-huh, I like, never heard of that one. It's the romantic version of Escape, I think, and it had some similar actors and. Um, uh, writers it was um i don't really know how many episodes of that series survive i know i used one i think it was pagosa Mm -hmm. where um the escape version was gone but it had been done by romance Ah. and so we have it for that reason so 
That's um, and they, they would often repeat repeat uh, classic episodes, right? Um, yeah. And you know, I know when people visit your site, uh, one of the top things you've got listed there is um, is uh, are you looking for three skeleton key? Yeah. <laughs> is this like your top hit when people yeah. are coming in? Yeah, it was the first episode I posted on my uh-huh. site, and that was a smart thing because it's the one that. Um, I quickly found out that people were looking for and coming to my site for, mm-hmm. and um, a part of that has to do with uh, the school year, is that right. at the beginning of the school year, teachers seem to assign this as a fun thing, you know, because it's mm-hmm. a story about rats and it's creepy, and, and so I ha- it's, it's really very cute. It's, it's at the beginning of the school year or the, or the, you know, the winter semester or anything where they're mm-hmm. giving them something kind of fun, or Halloween, too. Um, you uh, suddenly there'll be this rise <laughs> for three skeleton key, and there'll be all these middle schooler kids, you know, just um, coming to my site. So it's pretty cute. Uh, we have the same uh, effect. Uh, a couple of years ago, we did an episode, uh, not an episode, a uh, a show, uh, an audiobook of a story called. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, Oh yeah, the most dangerous game. Oh yeah, by Richard Connell. Yeah, um, and that's a. Uh, I, I think I found it on your site as well. Yeah, that's an escape episode. I think Suspense did it too. Right. Yeah, I, that's right. And um, I had that one in no, school. Yeah, the, nobody nobody did an audiobook version of it that was oh. free, so we got that done, and it's consistently our most popular download. But uh-huh. especially in September. <laughs> especially September, we get a massive hit of people and it continues right through the school year and then it drops off in the summer. (laughs) That's good to know. I'm glad to know that you have the, um, the, you know, the audiobook of it Mm -hmm. because it's, it's kind of an intense story, you know? (laughs) Oh, it's a great story. A great movie too. If you've seen the original movie, that's on archive.org. I don't think it's fabulous. I don't remember if I watched the movie or not, but I'll have another look at it. But oh, it's terrific! Yeah, the other one on my site that usually around Halloween. Um, mm-hmm. For for a while there, I had posted all these um, Poe, like Edgar Allan Poe episodes, were the hits around um, Halloween. But the other one for my site in the school year, um, at various times, but usually more around Halloween, is the Hitchhiker, Lucille Fletcher's right. story. That one, it's that one is sort of on my site. It ties with Three Skeleton Key. It's like one or the other is usually um, the most popular. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> so how, how how do you think they they became you know because they are but uh, it's like there's uh, you know when people think of um, the Mercury Theater they only think of one one show mm-hmm. and when they think of Escape and Suspense they only think of you know these one shows mm-hmm. but there are a lot of really good episodes right You're, oh yeah you wouldn't say that those. You don't pick those as your top shows, even though you find them to be very good. Do you think it's like somebody a long time ago said, uh, "We need one episode, one story that'll do a certain thing"? And yeah, I don't know. I I think sir, like Three Skeleton Key is, you know, a cl- it's not just the best of Escape is considered one of the best old time radio broadcasts ever. I think it's uh, the one in with Vincent Price and I, mm-hmm. I think it's 1950 
um, whichever the one I have posted it, there were, you know, it was done for escape a couple, and then a suspense, but there's one version that's particularly, it's considered the best. And yeah. that one, you know, sort of has a life of its own because in all old time radio, it's considered one of the best, but, and with suspense, um, you know, sorry, wrong number was the, yeah, that's the, the, one. the breakout hit. And that's like the one episode that's always, connected with suspense but the hitchhiker seems to have um as a a short story it gets assigned in schools Mm. and that's one of the reasons it um you know it's popular on my side is because kids are getting assigned to this story or or they're being assigned to listen to the broadcast and um but there are a lot there are some great episodes and that that, that never get any attention at all. And I think Treasure Inc. is one which, you know, was just kind of has elements of everything good about Escape, but you never really, it's it's not, you never hear about this episode. No, I'd, ne- I'd never heard about that. And I've been, I've been cruising your site for a long time, but um, I, it's always, it's always in connection with some adaptation. I'm, I'm you know, reading the, the story of, and then I want to hear the audio drama. See, see how they changed it, and see see how they improved it if they did, or how yeah. they ruined it. Yeah, it's there's uh, there's a lot. When I was doing Escape, because I've long since run out of Escape episodes, mm-hmm. um, there was just so much reading involved, <laughs> and and there were a couple of instances where I just could not get a copy of the text, like for whatever story it was. Um, there's still uh, still a couple where. Um, you know, I I just couldn't get it, couldn't find it. Um, Do they always say who the name of the story? That's the other thing I, I I've I've had trouble with is they say adapted from a story by, and then you can't really understand what the guy the name's name of the guy is. Yeah, and then you try and find the guy's name. Uh, you fi- you think you figured out the guy's name, and then he's got like ten thousand stories, and yeah. they don't say which one it was. <laughs> <laughs> Very depressing. <laughs> Yeah, I'm having, I'm I'm actually having that problem with a particular suspense episode where it's um you know I can't figure out it's based on a story by a famous author but I can't figure out which one and I don't know if this person wrote it for suspense. I mean, I I get held up for like for years with <laughs> trying yeah. to I'll pick it up for a while, I'll try and find it and then I'll put it back and then you know, a couple of years later the same problem is still there but um, anyway, with Escape, there was a you know there's a lot of reading because most of those episodes are based on something, so you have to read it and see what their adaptation was like. And usually, it's pretty interesting to see how they did it, like or how much of it they took and used, and there's you know how they kind of crafted it for radio. And with suspense, there's not as much to read, but um, there is now because like the remaining suspense episodes I have to deal with. Um, on my list, most of them require reading. And it's one of the reasons that I don't post as often as I used to, because I have so much more reading to do Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I just can't. When I first started Escape and Suspense, I could, I would do like on Sunday, I would post one episode of Escape and two of Suspense. And I kept that up for years. And I just started to run, (laughs) run out of, ran out of Escape. And then I ran out of um, suspense episodes that were written for suspense. And so now I have this list of um, suspense episodes that would just kind of require more work because I have to read or find the original stuff or figure it out. And 
you know, it's a, it's a bit of work for a hobby. It's you know, it's a bit of work. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a huge hobby. You you picked yourself. How did this? Because um, you you are I I read on your site you did write a, a history of uh, district of San Francisco. Yeah. Um. So you've got that historical bent, but that San Francisco it's it's not well known as far as I know for producing audio drama or radio drama was it no it's not i i sort of as as a writer i just started out writing local history mm-hmm. and i was writing about um things around here in san francisco and then i wrote a book um about the financial district uh, for Acadia publishing and which is available as an ebook now <laughs> and oh <laughs> and it's available um through uh, there's a Google app called Field Trip, and it's pretty nifty because there are images from my book loaded, um, being used for that app, um, and it's kind of a new thing. I think it's really nifty. Mm. So um, anyway, back to the Can point. Can you get that on iPhone? No, it's only for Android right now. <laughs> but I, I really am enjoying watching some of the images from my book pop up. It's got a high rating that app. Oh, good. I love it. That's <laughs> neat. But. Um, Anywho, I was, yeah, I was doing local history, and I, I'm a, I have a number of, I don't know, I, I, my interests as a writer are too varied, and um, I uh, don't leave enough time for everything. But anyway, I was, I was, I had a job, and I was working in a place where I was working all by myself, and it was kind of a lonely environment, and I, that was how I just started uh, listening to old time radio, just to sort of past the time while I was working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a little less lonely. And that was, uh, you know, I just, I was kind of stumbling around looking for various things to listen to. And I first, you know, I think my mother recommended suspense. And um, then from suspense, I found escape. And I, I just was enjoying it. And I just had a list of episodes and I was kind of ticking them off as I was listening to them. And then one day in 2007, I was homesick with a cold and I was, it was a really bad cold. I was just, you know, out, but I got this idea to start a website. I was like, you know, I, those episodes just have so much in them. There's so Mm -hmm. much about them. That's interesting. And so I, I swear to God, I just kind of rolled out of bed and I went over to my computer and I started crafting this Mm. website and you know, it, that's how it started in January of 2007, and it's still going. And it's like, it's just an example of how you can just start something with an idea and, you know, don't think about it at all. <laughs> just do it. And mm-hmm. and it just, it kept going because I had incentive. It was kind of a good writing exercise, and I enjoyed the work. And um, I enjoyed the response from people. It mm-hmm. would be fun uh, to get the feedback. And I've learned a lot from doing that. It's just been an education in itself. And um, there's more to come. I mean, I have, you know, plans for the website um, in the future. <laughs> but I'm still, I'm still, right now I'm going through my list of episodes and just trying to give every episode at least some attention. Like, because um, every single one that you kind of investigate, you'll find ones that really have a lot of interesting things about them. Mm-hmm. And then others that are that are just bad, you know. This suspense particularly did a lot of bad episodes, and I'm trying to 
figure out what to do with those. On my, how do I list those on my site? <laughs> well, uh, the the other thing that is, I mean, we we really haven't ta- talked about much is, you know, it's full of stars. I mean, all the Hollywood movie stars are in these, right? Yeah, everybody. <laughs> Pretty much, pretty much. Uh, I mean, they, they they also have you know sort of uh, Vincent Price is on a lot of them, and he's sort of a radio star as well yeah. as a movie star. But there are people who uh, there was uh, there was a few other shows I know that uh, one was was like just adaptations of movies that were out in the theater right now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and they usually have the same actors. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's like Lux Radio Theater. Yeah, Lux Radio Theater, right. And so that would have been based out of Hollywood, I guess. But um, the alternative is, you know, when your movie's playing, uh, you, you can go on the radio and they'll, they'll plug your movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Seemed like a good setup. Yeah. And I just love the idea of an anthology series. You know, we don't get that on TV very much anymore. It's It's all, you know... 24 seasons of CSI and then yeah. CSI Miami and basically you're getting the same stories over and over again. Yeah. Um, or they the same did one story continuing every week. Uh, yeah, <laughs> or ending. yeah, it, yeah, it's possible. But even so, like, um, like uh, that show Pursuit, right? It's a mystery show, but it's an anthology mystery show. It's not a you know Law and Order is the same city, the same yeah. way of storytelling. It. I like yeah. the even though you do see kind of a, a similar patterns, you know, the the main character in Escape seems to tell his own story. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you see a lot of patterns that happen. Uh, the, the fact that it's, you know, they don't have to have continuous characters means they can kill anybody off anytime. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And they do. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So a little more surprise that comes along with it. Yeah. Well, my my website's sort of written in a in a sort of formatted way. Also kind of like suspense. You sort of, you know, when you sit down to read any of my entries, you know, it's going to follow a format. <laughs> but um more so with suspense than escape. But um it is yeah, they it they could do anything they wanted on these these shows. They didn't have any recurring characters they had to bring back. Um, but I do, when I watch Law and Order sometimes, it does, um, um, make me think of suspense and, and that suspense would, you know, have its stories taken from life kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. you know, very recent thing. You kind of see that, um, on episodes of Law and Order where they would take a, that's the closest we have to an anthology series that is a regular series, right? Because the, the actors don't matter as yeah. much as the story does and, they replace, I and mean, they've replaced the entire cast of that show, right? <laughs> Several times, I think. Yeah, I don't. I haven't watched it for a while, so I don't know what the current Law and Order thing. But back, um, I know in the past when I've watched it, I've thought, oh, it's kind of. I think they've gotten in trouble too for doing that. Like stories are too recent <laughs> and oh. to be dramatized. <laughs> People get upset. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but they 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 just take the headline. They don't take the details, right? They make their own yeah thing out of it. I think so. Uh, you know, um, the other thing is, is generally these are, you know, they're half hour shows, but 
there's also uh, they they do some two parters, right? Like Earth Abides was done. That was yeah. one of the first ones I I dug up on your site. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, this is so cool. A two part. This is a. It's based on a novel, so um, they didn't have to compress it down into one. Yeah, it's, a, it's yeah. got a little more gravitas. So they'd have to wait a week to hear the second half. Yeah. Well, you know, Earth Abides is such a powerful novel. That Absolutely. is that is it's a powerhouse and. Um, so you read the whole novel? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, actually, that goes back to the question you were asking earlier about my background um, in, in San Francisco. Because Earth Abides is set um, That's in, true. in the yeah. Bay Area, as is uh, the original work uh, for Sc- The Scarlet Plague. I don't... Great one, too. There was an adaptation of that. There is. I mean, it's one for Escape. But it, it is? Yeah. Oh, my. I've, I'm hopped off on that right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, the original, you know, the Scarlet Plague, that the work by Jack, uh, the original work by Jack London, um, sort of begins not too. Far, but it's very disturbing <laughs> episode because it it's it hits so close to home. I, I mean, the story, the episode. I think they they changed uh, the time and location as they did for Earth Abides. I think. Um, it's been a while since I listened to the adaptations, but the book is so powerful. It's They're both really powerful. They're fantastic, both of them, I think. Yeah. Um, but the other the other point I wanted to make about um, San Francisco is that um, uh, it's this location for a lot of these episodes. And I sort of have a running list of um, that I've been working on of all of the episodes that are set um, here in the Bay Area the San Francisco barrier. And, um, you know, a couple of them, they were, you know, right. Uh, I think the episode man alive, you know, that was, it's down in the ferry building and the, <laughs> the, the financial district. It was, you know, like a couple blocks away from where I was working and it does, you know, uh, so many of the stories are, you know, kind of taking place all around, you know, in, uh, in your neighborhood. <laughs> so that was another reason that, um, it took my interest. I was like, yeah, well, you know, these, this, it's happening right in my neighborhood. Uh, that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> let's. We should talk about uh, always room at the top. Now, that did that. Did I read that that took place in in Salt Lake City? No, no, no. I, no where where is it set? It's kind of vague, isn't it? It's vague. Yeah, I sort of assume it's set in New York City. Uh, it's in this town or something like like. You can always find a cab in this town or something like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, what? Oh, no, the cops. The cops come. The squad car shows up instantly in this town. <laughs> Out of town. nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I, I, I don't think they give a, an actual location in the, this one, but I just assumed it was New York City. Yeah. As many of their episodes are set in New York as well. And, um, you know, in Los Angeles, and then in various, you know, strange cities—not strange cities, but various other places in California. Unusual, unusual settings. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> sort of towns that you don't really hear too much about, like La Mirada, California, is um, the scene of an escape episode. Things like that. So, um, yeah. Uh, so, always room at the top um, is. Uh, it's one of your favorites. It is. I. I, I, <laughs> I've loved this episode since uh, it's just so crazy that it's, yeah. it's just hard not to love it. It's, it's totally out of control and it could only happen in the world of suspense. And, you know, the first, 
the first act of this episode, you know, you don't even need anything after that because the first act is so crazy. Where, um, what's her name? Miss Baxter. Miss, uh, no, 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 that's not her name. That's the actress, right? That's the actress. It's Anne. Yeah, Anne Baxter. Anne Baxter is the actress. And, then, and Jack Webb is in this too, right? From Dragnet? Is he? No, I think it's Wally Mayher. Oh. Or, um, I think that's right. Oh, it says Jack Webb. I don't know where he is in this, but um, Wally Mayher plays her her boss, Bill Farrow. But um, in this, Ann Baxter plays Helen Brandt, who um, goes to an interview at the um, the William J. Farrow and uh, Associates um, advertising company, I think it is. And uh, she, it's just classic. She goes for the interview. The lady, Miss Jean Thornton, she tells her that her work is good, but, you know, Miss Brand isn't happy with that. She kind of picks a fight. She gets thrown out of the interview. She goes back to her office. She works until dawn. And then as she's leaving the building, somebody falls from the top (laughs) of the office building at her feet. And they realize that it's Miss Jean Thornton, the woman she'd interviewed with earlier. So she runs back upstairs (laughs) to to the office. Hey, there's a job available. Yeah, <laughs> pushes her way past the press and gets to the boss and tells him that she wants the job and will he just look at her print, you know, just look at my book and and have a look at my layouts and he's just disgusted with her until he looks at her layouts and he's like, my God, <laughs> you've got it. You're still disgusting, but I'll, I'll hire you. Exactly. He's like, I don't want to look at you, but you're hired for now. <laughs> and so she gets the job. And Mr. Farrow's secretary is sort of, um, you know, uh, kind of warns her a little bit that she she might be getting herself into trouble. But she, you know, Miss Brandt doesn't care. So then, you know, they, they take her to Miss Jean Thornton's office. <laughs> She's only been dead, you know, like five minutes, uh, five minutes. But already Miss Helen Brand has taken over her office and her job and the whole thing. And that's that's just the- it didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. I thought, you know, somehow she had done uh, she had been the murderer. No, yeah, uh, it's like uh, it's like there's a de- she sees the dead body falling and yet somehow she. She was the murderer, but no, that's not the way it was done. No, it's just, it, I mean, all of that happens in the first seven minutes. And it's just <laughs> from there, I won't say what happens after that, but it's just, um, it's. Uh, <laughs> got pacing like the front page, though. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very, uh, very fast. Yeah. I <laughs> they play no a lot in. I mean, a lot of these are based on novels, so they, they have to either chop out lar- large parts of the story or jam it all into a very short space. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot jammed into this episode. I don't think it's based on anything. I think it was written for suspense, but um, there's just so much going on and, and everybody's getting double-crossed and, you know, these female executives are so catty. <laughs> just, <laughs> it is so over the top. <laughs> I just I just love it. <laughs> Every you, time you called, you called both of these episodes uh, business workplace episodes. Yeah, there's a lot. They do a lot of those types of stories, which I find very interesting. Um, is that because that's what the audience is is like? You know, I can relate to that that sort of thing. Is that what you think it is? I guess so. I mean, they had to be doing them for something. I mean, for some reason, they do a lot. Suspense does a lot. Uh, or you know, I good number of episodes about employees who are treated 
you know, really badly by rotten uh, bosses and then, I, you know, try and get their revenge or they, they, they do something or another. So I think they were hitting a nerve. They're playing for the audience. There. Yeah. Yeah. They were reaching for that. Um, for the 47%. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 That's hmm. it. So they, they were, they were hitting a nerve or, you know, going for feelings that they knew were out there and um, letting them play out in the, in the world of suspense, which is um, quite a, Quite an interesting world. <laughs> Anything can happen in the landscape of suspense. You know, uh, one of the ones that I th- I've I listened to all of the different broadcasts of that they repeated many times was um, uh, an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. You know, that's the um, yeah the one that's always ad- uh, done for school as well. Yeah, um, and I think they used the same script in all seven, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whatever it was, but. Yeah. Um, that's just the reason they re, redo the whole show, right? Is because is because they don't. I I guess nobody could record it, so nobody could watch it again. There was no repeats. It was all new shows, but it was just a new a new show that's a the same script. Yeah. What's that? I'm just looking at the notes here. It says 1959, 1957, 1956, 47 on Escape, and it's like. Yeah, every couple of years. Hey, why don't we do that uh, current at Owl Creek Bridge? We got a great response. Yeah. Yeah, they just recycled scripts. <laughs> they were, you know. Kind of like uh, Hollywood movies these days. <laughs> remakes. Yeah. But I think you're right. They they couldn't record them in, or, or what have you. It's not like today where they could just record it and play it well, back. So, well, we, we have these recordings, so somebody was recording them. Yeah. And certainly couldn't do it as a, re- a general rule, right? They you you have to be there at the time. This is appointment radio. Yeah, it is. It is, and and so if they had a script that worked, they they would just bring it back with little or no changes. You know, if it worked, it worked. You know, <laughs> they, the country of the blind. There's uh, there's uh, three escapes and two suspenses. Yeah, and and a favorite story as well, uh, which is a slightly different. Uh, show but uh, the same the same uh, original plot mm-hmm. so um one of the one of the ones i i thought i i remember fairly well is called plunder of the sun oh yeah it's, um back into print by hard case crime mm. as the the original novel and i thought oh well that's interesting and it's it's a you know, novel half hour so it's it's, it's pretty pushed yeah. but it, it like those what's that uh john wayne movie I think it's a John Wayne movie where they go into Mexico. Ah, Treasure of the Sierra Madre? Oh, no. Yeah. Bogart, not John Wayne. It's kind of like that, right? Plunder of the Sun? Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while since... I, I read the book. Um, it's been a while since... I don't quite remember. Um, uh, I'll read the description. Okay, here. yeah. <laughs> Al Colby, a tough guy adventurer and private investigator... Right. Accepts a job from a South American antiques dealer. The dealer wants an ancient relic smuggled into Peru. Colby's assignment is to carry the piece on board an American ship sailing from the Chilean port of Valhasparcio to Calao. Oh, yeah, it's quite different uh, in Peru. But the dealer has a serious heart condition and is soon found dead aboard the ship. What is the mysterious corded object that Colby carries and how does it connect to the Incan Empire? Uh, Yeah, I do remember that. Uh, I'm bring, it's, it's 
that that was one of the first ones I thought, oh, this is really cool. Though they they adapt a, a very interesting novel set in an exotic location. Yeah, yeah that that was, that book was pretty good. There's a lot of you know there were some of those books um, were I really liked the book. I didn't you know the escape adaptation. It, it just it was so much to push into one. <laughs> half hour episode but um there uh, there was a number of good ones like the rim of terror that's another really really good novel um and um oh gosh there's a whole list of them i (laughs) there's the killer mine that was i think that was the one that i i mentioned to you last time we spoke um i got really excited about that because i found it in uh in a box of old paperbacks from my grandmother's estate. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, this looks really good. I'll look it up. And, and uh, yeah, I came across your your uh, post about the, the escape version. Yeah. That's, and it, it's, that, as I recall, it's a pretty good ap- adaptation. Yeah, and it's, it's sort of a mysterious... Um, it's sort of a mysterious setting and kind of, you know, unusual. It's set in the UK and... It's got, I think that I think they've got the main character as an American, uh, but in the in the adaptation I think. But it's 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 sort of um, it's kind of like a, almost a ghost story, even though it's not really. Um, it's, it's it's sort of those you know juvenile stories where you know the kids go out on the beach and they see pirates coming in, and it's not really pirates; it's smugglers or whatever it is, but. Um, except it's done with adults instead of you know three kids in the mm. in the countryside. Yeah. Uh, Nancy Drew sort of sort sort of story, but with adults. Yeah, um, yeah. It's been a while since I read The Killer Mine, but it's a good. <laughs> I remember it's a very good novel, and um, the adaptation is pretty good as well. I just, um, yeah, the details of it just. <laughs> Yeah, they go away. Why don't you write them down. When I looked, I was when I was preparing for this, I was looking at at episodes, and you know, I just I forget. I read, I just like, oh, I'd forgotten about that story, and yet um, I'll think of a story, and I'll think, oh, I just did that recently, and I'll look on my site, and I did it like in two thousand nine or something. It's you know, years have passed since I posted that episode, and yet right. to me, it seems sometimes like it was yesterday, and. I don't know. <laughs> Some of them stick with you pretty well. Huh? Some of them stick with you pretty well. Yeah. Like, uh, Earth Abides, you know, I, I think I know the plot of that pretty well, but every once in a while somebody will say something. And I say, what? That's in Earth Abides? i got to go read that again. Yeah. <laughs> it's so powerful. I mean, it just it just rips your heart out. You know, and it's just, the story is so well done that, you know, it's, it's, um, it's so memorable. But I'm looking, you know, here at Escape, and, there's there's a number of books that I enjoyed reading. I don't um, oh plunder of the sun. There we go. Um, you know I, I have I, I enjoyed the experience of reading all of them, and um, it's it's not necessarily things that um, I would have ever thought to have read if I wasn't reading them for escape. But uh, I'm glad I did. <laughs> Was there ever a uh, you know sometimes they did this like. Twilight Zone would do a an anthology of short stories that were adapted into an, uh, Twilight Zone episodes. Was there ever a, a book that collected the best of Escape uh, adaptations, the original stories? 
Because if not, maybe that's what you should do. <laughs> because I I would love to have a, something like that, an anthology. You could just yeah, uh, I'm working get together. I'm working towards that. You know, because um, I. I have all of the books here, and it's just, you know, boxes and boxes of books of what I've collected so far. And some of these, as I've said, are just so hard to get. And mm-hmm. um, I think I was just looking at one. I think it was Vincent Starrett's book. Is that the one? Um, that, where where did that go? Pick it up off of eBay or something yeah, like that. Yeah, like The Quick and the Dead. I think I, that one is like really expensive now there's certain ones that are so expensive now you just can't even get them uh, mm. they're not they haven't been republished you can't get them through interlibrary loan you know it's just right. forget yeah. it and uh there's uh, there's just a few short stories where i have not yet been able to dig them up um or i have not yet found the helpful reference librarian <laughs> who will help me dig it up somewhere right um but Ultimately, it would be great to um, try and get them all in in one play, you know, in one book. I was thinking mm-hmm. of just taking, I don't know, I'll have to see what I do with uh, my collection of books uh, when I get to the end. When I finally get to the the end of doing all these, I'll I'll assess all of this <laughs> and see. But it would be great to have them all. It's an interesting looking book that Quick and the Dead. It's from Arkham House. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's a publisher. Yeah, there's there's a few of them. They're just oh, it's it's a challenge. And and uh, uh, on that note, you know, one of the biggest challenges is is Cornell Woolrich. So mm. many of his stories are, you know, not available anymore. It's certain um, stories that were adapted for suspense you just can't get. And mm. his work, you know, I I always try to get it get my hands on the original Cornell Woolrich story before I post an episode. But, um, you know, in some cases they're just not possible, but I do think there is some, um, Cornell Woolrich coming up that's being republished. Um, some of his stories are being put out in a new, he's still popular. Yeah. Yeah. He, he seems to be, he seems to have dropped off and, um, hopefully is gaining popularity again. Um, but I, I believe in November there's some you know new version of uh, Cornell Woolrich stories are coming out and fingers crossed that they have <laughs> some of the ones that I'm looking for. Well, if you if you want to make a list, um, I'd be happy to help you. Okay. Try and dig that up because uh, I, I that's what I do a lot myself is dig up old magazines with old stories in them and try and. Uh, see if there are any any interest because there's there's just so much that you know it, it's published once and never published again not because it's good but just because you know it didn't hit for some reason yeah yeah one of one of the other stories that I don't think I um, have been able to find yet is um, habit Oh, habit is based on a short story that's one I've never been able to um, find. <laughs> Or get a copy of. I know it ex- it exists somewhere. Um, it was published, but I haven't yet gotten a copy of that. And, okay. um, oh, there's a few more. I can send you a list. <laughs> yeah, send me a list. That'll be great. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. 
please join us at www.sffaudio.com.